Have you ever had a friend call you to ask you to help them move? This is what goes on. They call you and, and they ask you, hey, what are you doing on Saturday? And you say, nothing, thinking they want to hang out. And then they say, great, you can come over and help me move. And then the phone goes silent for a minute because you're trying to think of an excuse. And then this is about the time where they start to try and convince you of how fun it's going to be. Oh, no, it's, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. We're going to have a moving party. You can't fool me. Just because you put the word party after we're moving doesn't mean that it's a party. I know what you want. Come on, somebody. I know what you want. You want me to come over and be your slave labor and work for that piece of pizza that you're going to serve me on a paper towel. <laughs> have you ever shown up at somebody's house and, and you show up ready to move and they haven't even started packing yet? Oh, that's the worst. I'm like, wait a second. You asked me to come be the mover. You did not ask me to be the packer. And they, then they want to give you junk. Like, hey, really appreciate you coming over today. Really appreciate you taking your sat. Hey, listen, why don't you go ahead and take that coffee table? And you're like, oh, I appreciate that. Thanks a lot. But, you know, I really don't think that those cinder blocks will go with my couch. <laughs> and, and it's the worst, man. It's the worst. It's moving. You got all their boxes and their furniture. It's way too heavy. And they never have enough people. Like, you're the only sucker that actually answered their text, answered the phone when they called. And you're moving like a mattress. Anybody ever moved a mattress to somebody else and you, you could swear they weren't lifting at all? Like, you set it down. Like, are you, are you lifting? Yeah, I'm lifting. Then why is your side dragging on the sidewalk? It's just so frustrating looking at everything. I mean, there's, it's no fun at all, man. Moving is no fun at all. The only thing worse than moving somebody else is having to move yourself. You start calling people you haven't talked to in six months. Hey, what are you doing Saturday? Yeah, I'm, ha I'm having a moving party. It's no, it's going to be crazy. We're going to have pizza. I got this coffee table I want to give you. <laughs> It's, it's a nightmare to move. I feel overwhelmed when I start trying to move, man. I hate moving, and we moved so many times in my life. My wife and I, we lived in Texas for a while, and when we came back, my wife and I were moving, and, and when I would go into a room, I would, I would get overwhelmed by all the stuff. How many, how many would say this? You'd agree with this statement. You don't know how much stuff you have until you move. Let me say it another way. You don't, no, you don't know how much junk you have until you move. And you start do, working in one room, and this is what I'm doing. And then I get overwhelmed. I go to another room and start with that room. And then pretty soon my wife would find me in a garage, like sitting on the floor, going through boxes that I haven't looked at in years, taking a trip down memory lane. I keep everything, ladies and gentlemen. How many of you are like me? Raise your hand. You're like me. You keep everything? Come on. That's <clears throat> no, not Diana. Diana throws everything out. How many are like Diana? Raise your hand. She throws everything out. I keep, not me, I keep everything because I, like I like to remember stuff. I have, I have like the baby teeth from my daughters when they were six years old. I've kept those. Girls, where are those? Mom, mom threw those out? I used to have baby teeth from my daughters when they were six years old. 
Moving is overwhelming. It's overwhelming. And I start off like real methodical because you, just, you have to pack a lot of stuff. You, got, you have dishes, you have towels, you have clothes, you have cups. I start off super methodical and, and, and like wrapping each, each cup individually with towels and bubble wrap. And, and I'm putting it in there and I tape it up real methodical and I put t- nice tape on both sides going th- both directions. And, and I write my name on it with a permanent marker. Sean Nepster. And then I even write like the room that it's going to in the new house. Do all that until about box number 30. And then I just start throwing junk in there. Like, I don't even know what this is. I tape it up all messed up. And then I write on the side of the box, more crap. (laughs) Just like, I don't even know what this stuff is. Have you ever had, have you ever like been moving and then, and then you find the box that's still sealed from the last time you moved? You got to be careful. That's the ones Diana will throw out. She says this, if you haven't used it in the last year, you're never going to need it. How many agree with that statement? You guys are all the same. <laughs> Diana and I, one time, we, we were in Texas, and we are moving back to California, and she's eight months pregnant with our twins, okay? We have two girls, and, and we have, it's, it's like a two-year-old and a one-year-old, and twins are on the way. And we're moving. She, she had some complications, and she's on, she's on bed rest. So we go to the doctor, and you should have seen the doctor's face as I told her and divulged my plan to her of me wanting to load Diana up in our U-Haul truck and drive 24 hours across country. She said, you're going to do what? I said, yeah, we're going to get in the U-Haul truck, drive 24 hours to San Diego. She'll be all right. Diana will be all right. She said, you will do no such thing. I said, uh, no. She said, no, here's what you're going to do. You're going to put your wife on a plane, fly her out there, and you're going to drive that truck over to San Diego. I said, yes, (laughs) ma'am. So I did that. I put my wife on a plane, and then I load up this entire truck, 24-foot truck. That's a lot of space, everybody. All this junk. And the only person who would help me is this guy from my job. One guy. I felt so bad because it was, it was July in Dallas, Texas, ladies and gentlemen. I'm talking about hot. It is hot. It's a hundred and ridiculous outside. He's sweating. I'm working this boy like a dog. But don't worry because I gave him some pizza. <laughs> so we load up the truck. First stop. First stop. No lie the gas station to fill this thing up with gas and the truck breaks down. In in the heat, we're waiting there for four or five hours waiting for U-Haul to come and take take a look at our truck. We're there and while we're there, the owner of the gas station's coming out and he's yelling at me, you gotta move this truck. I'm like, well, it's broken, it won't move. You need to move this bus right now. Sir, I told you it's a truck and it won't move, it's broken. And then he starts talking to me like, you owe me money. I'm like, for what? You're, I'm losing business around here. Sir, your gas station is empty. There are no cars coming through here. I'm taking up two gas pumps, but I can't move this truck. And there's nobody else coming through. The, and I'm arguing, yelling with them. I'm angry. Finally, U-Haul shows up with another truck. They say, your truck is, is beyond repair. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you a new truck. Well, that sounds good until they told me that here's what you're going to have to do. Now you have to unload this truck and reload it into the new truck. Ladies and gentlemen, can can we all agree that moving can be overwhelming? Well, listen, some of you in life, 
feel that way. There are some of you here today, and the best word that could describe where you are is you feel overwhelmed. Matter of fact, the definition of overwhelmed means to bury or drown. Anybody feel like that's you? To bury or drown beneath something. And if that's you, listen, look at me, look at me, everybody. I dedicate this message to you because you're not the first and you're not the last person to feel overwhelmed. Matter of fact, some of God's finest people through the Bible and throughout history know what it feels like to be overwhelmed. As a matter of fact, there's a guy named David in the Bible. David in Psalm 69, he was so overwhelmed. He says, save me, O God, for the floodwaters are up to my neck. Can you picture that? The floodwaters, they're right here. And then he goes on to say, deeper and deeper I sink, I can't find a foothold. Like his feet are slipping and the, water, the problems of life are way up here. And he says, the floodwaters overwhelm me. I'm exhausted from crying for, say this word out loud, everybody. Help. I just need some help. Listen, many of you know what it feels like to be overwhelmed. There's way too much stuff in our world right now. There's way too much information we can't keep up. There's way too much news. It's depressing. There's way too much, many problems in life, and many of us can relate to the fact of feeling overwhelmed. If that's you, write this down. I got some fill in the blanks for you. This is what you'll feel. You'll start off feeling anxious, just anxious. You're worried. You're, you're concerned, but it's deeper than concern. It's fear. And you're worried about stuff that hasn't even happened yet. We find ourselves controlled. You can't even enjoy today because you're worried about what might happen tomorrow. And it's so easy to be controlled and dominated by fear, dominated by what the media is saying, dominated by what everybody else is saying, dominated by your own situation at work. It's so easy to fall into the trap of fear. I'm telling you, life is filled with anxiety. But you don't stay there. You don't just stay being anxious. Here's the next statement. Here's the next area. And that is you begin to feel like you're drowning. You move from anxiety to worry to now you feel like it, you're drowning. It's now come over your head. This is survival mode, everybody. And this is where it's like the ocean. You feel like it's one wave after another. It's one problem after another. It's one bad report after another. It's one closed door after another. It's way too many things happening all at the same time. And you begin to feel like my cousin who's a surfer. And he was surfing one time, and as he's surfing, he fell off of his board. And when he fell off, he said he lost his bearings. And when he tried to come up, another wave hit him. He tried to come up again, another wave hit him. He's holding his breath underwater, and he began to frantically try and swim, but he didn't know which way was up. He says, I thought I was going to die. He's frantically in survival mode, trying to make it. Ladies and gentlemen, he made it, but some of you know what he feels like. And you're not being drowned by water. What's drowning you is the marriage that's not getting better. What's drowning you is the kids that are acting out. What's drowning you is the problem with mom and dad. What's drowning you is the finances have gone away. What's, what's drowning you is the report from the doctor. What's drowning you is a nation that is in turmoil and saying that everything's going downhill and we can come back and begin to feel like, help, I'm drowning. The waters have come up to my neck. I don't know what to do. There's a lot of us that feel hopeless. It doesn't just stay like I'm drowning. You go to another stage where you begin to feel like it's over. And this is scary, ladies and gentlemen, because this is the point 
in which you stop believing that anything can change. Hopeless. There is no hope. Fear has come in, and you're, this is past survival mode. This is, the, this is the point where you actually stop fighting. This is the point where you actually give up. And we, we can't even think straight because we're so desperate. It makes us feel overwhelmed. Can I tell you, this is exactly the position that the devil wants all of us to be in because when you're overwhelmed, you cannot focus on making a difference or having your purpose fulfilled in God. But I've got some good news for you today. How many are ready for some good news? I'm going to need you to help me. I want you to turn to the person sitting next to you and tell them, look them straight in the eye. It's a little awkward and I don't mind this. Look them straight in the eye. Come on, look them straight in the eye and tell them, I know you might be overwhelmed, but I've got some good news for you. It's not over. Come on, turn to, now tell the person you ignored. I know you might be overwhelmed right now, but I've got some good news for you. Come on, yell it at them. It's not over. Come on, point your finger in their face and say, it's not over. It's not over. It's not over. It's not over. I know it looks bad. I know it looks like it's overwhelming. I know it's one wave after another, but it's not over. You have given up because you listened to one bad sound bite, but you haven't finished the entire song yet. It's not over. It's not over yet. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Number one, who are you crying out to? If you're overwhelmed, who are you crying out to? In Isaiah chapter 30, we see God's people, they were not crying out to God. The Bible says that God's talking, what sorrow awaits my rebellious children? You make plans that are contrary to mine. You make alliances not directed by my spirit, thus piling up your sins. For without consulting me, you have gone down to Egypt for help, help. You put your trust in Pharaoh's protection. Interesting, God's looking at him and says, hey, you made plans, but I'm not in them. You've made relationships, but I'm not in them. You've, you've turned your back on my ways and all of your plans, I'm not in those. And now your sins are piling up and you're going to everybody else for help except me. As a matter of fact, you're not coming to me for help. You're going down to Egypt, which by the way, Egypt represented the world system. Egypt was a place that they were in slavery for 400 long years and God sent a deliverer named Moses, set his people free and now they want to turn back and go to the very thing that God delivered them from for help? He says, this isn't going to work, ladies and gentlemen. This isn't going to work at all. You're putting your trust in your own ability to find your way out. You're seeking advice from everybody but me, God said. And then we have Isaiah 30 verse 15 that said, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Only in returning to me and resting in me will you be saved. But you'd have none of it. You said, no, we'll get our help from Egypt. We, don't, we got this, God. I got this. We don't need your help. I'm, go, I'm, going, I'm going somewhere else for help. Let me ask you, who are you crying out to? Number two, I know the next two questions end in a preposition. Please look past that because I just wanted to prove a point with a statement that you probably remember a little better, all right? All the English teachers say amen. What are you looking at? What are you looking at? What are you looking at in life? Isaiah chapter 31, the very next chapter says, what sorrow awaits those who look to Egypt for help, 
trusting in their horses and in their chariots and in their charioteers and depending on the strength of human armies instead of looking to the Lord. What are you looking at? I know right now in the world and in our nation there's turmoil. I know the world claims to have all the answers. And I know everybody in America on social media is an expert right now. Why is it we go to everybody else first before we go to God? We don't pray first. We Google first. Something happens in your health, you Google first. Something happens in your marriage, you Google first. Something happens in our nation, you Google first. Why is it we go to everybody else first before God and we pray last? And then we even say dumb statements like, well, I guess all we can do now is pray. And people look at you like, really? It's that bad? That's all we can do now. That's all we can do. That ought to be our first response to go to God and look to God for help, ladies and gentlemen, instead of looking to anybody else for help. We're coming to God. Who are you looking at? Here's the thing. You can't get the right answers in the wrong place. That's why you never cheated off the dumb kid in class. Even if he was willing to share his answers, you're like, I'm good. I think I'll just guess. You cannot get the right answers in the wrong places. Ladies and gentlemen, why do we go to everybody else before God? I want to encourage you, don't let a problem intimidate you. Let it motivate you to pray and get closer to God. Let it, don't let it push you away from God. Let it drive you to him. Can I hear a better amen, everybody? And this is what you need. You need some friends who are running the same way as you, who will encourage you and encourage you in the Lord that he's going to help get you through this. That's why small groups are so important. Don't do this alone. Some of you are feeling overwhelmed and you have nobody to go to. You have no friends. I mean, I mean friends that are there for you, there, there, that would pray for you. One person can't do it all. And so we have small groups that meet once a week for relationship and encouragement. We still have like another month left. You can jump in them today and find a list on our website of small groups. Ladies and gentlemen, please do not do life alone because the devil wants you to isolate and insulate. It's a trap. It's a trap. Don't do it. It's a trap. Here's another question. It's a big question. What are you trusting in? What are you trusting in? Do we trust in a man? Do we trust in our own ability? Psalm 20 says this. Some people trust in their chariots. Some people trust in their horses. Not us. We put our chariots in the garage. We put our horses in the stable. We're not going to trust in what man can do. We're trusting in the Lord God Almighty. He's the only one who can help us. Come on, is there anybody in the room that believes that this morning? We trust in God. And Jesus comes on the scene and says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Anybody overwhelmed? Come to me. Like he's telling you. It's not a secret. He's like, come to me. And I will give you rest. Uh, take my yoke on you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Ladies and gentlemen, if there's anything we need in America, it's rest for our souls. We need God. And did anybody think it's funny that the way Jesus said that, did you catch it? He's like, oh, you're tired? Okay, carry this. He didn't say, come sit down. He said, oh, anybody's tired? Anybody overwhelmed? It's okay. Take my yoke on you. Why? 
because it's about carrying the right things. Some of you are carrying things that you shouldn't be carrying. Some of you have picked up offenses you should never have picked up. Some of you have, have, are carrying burdens that you should have given to the Lord a long time ago, but you're carrying it in your own strength and in your own wisdom, and it's not working. And it's one wave after another after another, and you're starting to feel the pressure, and you can't breathe, and you have chest pains and stomach issues and on medications and things because we have not come to Jesus Christ for help. Come to me, he says. Anybody who's overwhelmed, come to me. I'm the one who's going to give you rest, but first of all, take this. Well, what is this? It's a custom fit yoke, not egg yoke. It's a yoke and not strong yoke. Like, ooh, I'm yoked. It's a, it's a yoke that would come over an oxen. And he says that it fits them. If it's the wrong size, it'll cut into them. And one yoke, one oxen will drag the other one and they'll be hurt and they'll be wounded. But a custom fit yoke helps you to move with ease. A custom fit yoke helps you to move with agility. A custom fit yoke helps you to, to continue to work and not grow weary. Carry this. That's why it's so important to go through the dream team and our growth track and get serving somewhere. Some people are thinking, I'm overwhelmed. I just have to stop everything. No, 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 no. That's, that's the devil's trick. He wants to isolate and insulate. God's plan is for you to do the right things. So if you're feeling overwhelmed, if you feel burnt out, you're doing the wrong things or you have the wrong motives. Go through the growth track. We'll help, to help you discover what makes you unique, and then you're doing the right things. And I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, when you do the right things, what God calls you to, you don't burn out. You just energizes you. It's important. Here's a big question then. And we start to, we're starting to realize that maybe like David, we've been looking at the wrong stuff. We've been trusting in the wrong places and it's time to come back to God. Here's a very practical question. Number one, what is it on your, on your schedule? What needs to be added and taken off of your schedule? What needs to be added to and taken off? Think about that. What needs to be added to? Reading your Bible every day. What if we begin to read our Bible as much as we've been on the internet the last week? What, what if we began to pray and talk to God? It doesn't have to be in King James. It doesn't have to sound serious. You know how to talk to people, talk to God. What if we began to go to church every week? What if we began to serve in our passions to make a difference in other people's lives? I'm telling you, something would change. What needs to be added to your week? And by the way, step two is today at 10.15 or 5.15. You can jump in. Even if you didn't sign up, just show up. We're ready for you. We want to give you four new habits every Christian needs to be successful. But what if we did that? Here's another question. What do you need to take off your schedule? Because you can't do everything. Listen, what's doable is not sustainable. You can't keep doing it all. What, what is a priority? What needs to come off? And then you need to know it's important to have a Sabbath. Meaning there's one day a week, and I don't care what day it is, one day a week where you're not doing what you get paid to do normally where there's rest. The people that crash and burn are those who don't know how to Sabbath. They don't know how to do that. And I'm just telling you, ladies and gentlemen, we need this for our soul. We need this. We need this. We need this. Make plans for this. Otherwise, it won't happen. Proverbs 21 says this, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Number two, write this down. We need to turn to the Lord for help. Turn to the Lord for help. I got a lot of verses and I expect a lot of amens. Psalm 46 verse 1 says, God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in the time of trouble. Hebrews 4.16 says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Ladies and gentlemen, when we turn to God, there's a turning away from other stuff. There's a turning away from self-dependence and we turn to independence in God. God, we're we not independent. We're dependent on you. 
We're turning away from our own strength. We're turning away from our own wisdom. And stop, I want to say this to everybody in the room. Stop trying to fix yourself. Just let God come in. Turn to God. And number two, focus on God, not the problem. Focus on God, not the problem. Circumstances will overwhelm you. It's easy to be controlled by your circumstances, but you're never meant and you're not built to be controlled by your circumstances. I'm telling you, turn your focus off of your problem and get it looking at the solution, which is Jesus Christ. Corey Tinboom, an author from years gone by, said this If you look to the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within yourself, you'll be depressed. But if you look at Jesus, you will be at rest. Oh, I wish I had some people in here that can remember what God's done in their lives. I wish I had a church that was noisy enough to get excited about God who is so big and your problems are so small. When you stack them up next to the creator of the universe, you can say, it doesn't matter what comes my way. I know that God is bigger than anything we're walking through. Come on. Does anybody believe that? Come on, take three seconds and thank God who is bigger than what's overwhelming you today. Praise him today and thank God. He is the answer. He's always been the answer. He will always be the answer. He's the same yesterday, today, and he's gonna be the same on Wednesday afternoon for you. We have a God who we don't need to fret. We don't need to worry. We're not, I'm concerned, but I'm not worried. We know a God who's over everything that we knew him to be over, and I thank God today because he has done this all through history. You're not the first, and you won't be the last to be overwhelmed. You're not the first, and you won't be the last that God gets you through something. There's a little boy named David who came and brought some grilled cheese sandwiches to his brothers on a battlefield because he's running an errand for his daddy, and he recognizes that his brothers and the entire army of Israel is overwhelmed. They're fighting a Goliath, a giant who's over nine feet tall. His entire armor weighs more than this little boy who hasn't even gone through puberty yet. And David looks around and says, you guys are overwhelmed. How come nobody's fighting him? And they're like, well, look at him, stupid. He's nine feet tall. And David walks out and says, listen, you come at me with a sword and a javelin and a spear. I come at you in the name of the Lord God most high. He picked up five smooth stones and he slew that giant and became the hero of a nation. There's another guy in the Bible named Jehoshaphat. We call him Japhat for short. He, not, he didn't have one army. He didn't have two armies. He had three armies that were coming against him and were threatening to en enslave the entire nation. He said, God, I don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. And God gave him a strategy that was crazy enough to make anybody nervous. He said, send the choir out first. So the choir came marching out in their choir robes and they sang an A and B selection and they came out and said, the Lord is good, his mercy endures forever. The Lord is good, his mercy endures forever. It doesn't look good, we're overwhelmed, but the Lord is still good and his mercy still endure forever. And God confused the enemy and they turned on each other and God delivered them. David later on in his life, he was overwhelmed with life. He had a lion, he had a bear, he had a kingdom, he made some bad decisions and this is what he said in Psalm 16. When my heart is overwhelmed, 
May I remind you, my heart is often overwhelmed. He said, when my heart is overwhelmed, don't lead me to the bar. Don't lead me to a club. Don't lead me to prescription drugs. Don't lead me to marijuana, even though it's now voted legally in, in California. He said, don't lead me to anything else. Lead me to a rock that is higher than I am. I don't need somebody that's lower than me. I don't need somebody on the same plane as me. I need a God who's above my circumstance. I need a God who's above my problems. Lead me to him because I'm in trouble. That's what David prayed. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that's higher than I am. This is what we need in America, ladies and gentlemen. It's a turning away from and a turning to. Listen, if it's big enough for you to worry about, then it's big enough for you to pray about. Turn back to God. Write this down. Remember God's promises to you. Remember God's promises to you. There are over 7,000 promises of God in the Bible. This is why we need to read the Bible. This is why we need to study the Bible and memorize the Bible. Because if you don't know these promises, you don't know these promises. God is a helper. It's one of his names. The Holy Spirit is a helper. And, and the Greek word for that is paraclete. I didn't say parakeet. Paraclete. Here's the definition. Get ready to be excited. The definition of paraclete is somebody who comes alongside of to help. This is God. Let me read you some verses, some in your notes, some not in your notes because we didn't have room. Hebrews 13 says, God said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. So I will have no fear. Isaiah 26 says, you will keep him in perfect peace. All who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you, trust in the Lord always. Psalm 34 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Deuteronomy 31 says, the Lord himself goes before you and he will be with you. He will never leave you, nor will he forsake you. So don't be afraid and don't be discouraged. Isaiah 40 verse 28 says, do you not know? Have you not heard that the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He will not grow tired and weary his understanding nobody can even fathom he gives strength to the weary and increases power to the weak even youth grow tired and weary and the young men stumble and fall but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength they will soar on wings like eagles they will run and they will not grow weary and they will walk and they will not faint John 11 says this John 16 says I have told you these things so that in me you will have peace in the world you will have trouble it's a guarantee but God says, but take courage because I've already overcome the world. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, there is trouble in the world, but don't worry. You can still be at peace. No matter how loud the volume gets on the outside, you can be at peace on the inside because God has overcome the world. Do you believe that today? Worry, though, is the symptom of not knowing God's promises. Worry comes when you don't know these promises, when you're overwhelmed by this. And that's why we need to write this down, keep an eternal perspective. Keep an eternal perspective. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says this. Paul is writing, and he says, Therefore, do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. So what do we do? We fix our eyes on not what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. I love Paul. Paul would come on the scene, and he had plenty of reasons to be overwhelmed. They looked at Paul, and they're like, Paul, we're going to kill you. He was like, that's cool. 
To die is gain. They said, Paul, we're not going to kill you. We're going to let you live. He said, that's cool to live as Christ. We're not going to kill you or let you live. We're going to make you suffer. He said, that's cool. I reckon that the sufferings of this present time is not worthy to be compared with the glory that should be revealed unto me. If you kill me, I'm going to be with Christ, Paul said. If you let me live, I'm going to live for Christ. And if you make me suffer, I'm just getting more reward from Christ. So bring it on home. It's all Christ to me. He even had a thorn in his flesh. We don't even know what it is. And God showed up one day and said, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. It is sufficient. Listen, you are not the first, nor are you the last to be overwhelmed. You are not the first, nor the last for you to get through something because God stepped in. And we live in a world that is putting all their faith in mankind. I'd be scared too. But I tried worry. It didn't work for me. I tried overwhelmed. It didn't work for me. I tried freaking out. It didn't work for me. And here's what I realized. I realized something that even though I was freaking out, God wasn't. Even though I was stressed out, God wasn't. Even though I was overwhelmed, God wasn't. And even though it was over my head, it wasn't over God's head. Come on, is there anybody that's grateful? We serve a great God. He's not overwhelmed by what's going on in your life. That's why we run to him, because we need his help. We need him. And I'm telling you today, you need him more now than you ever have before. I believe with all of my heart today, God wants to do something amazing in your life. And Today, you need to believe he is here. He's on your side. Psalm 55, 22 says, cast your cares on the Lord. And he will sustain you. I love that verse. I love it. I love it. I love it. Cast your cares in the Lord. He will sustain you. Sustaining grace is meaning he, he upholds you. I was on an airplane a couple months back. We were all getting ready to walk out. We're standing there kind of hunched over because my head's hitting the ceiling. I'm too tall. This little boy comes over to his mom and he has this huge backpack. He's like, mom, it's too heavy. It's too heavy. It's too heavy. And the mom just took two fingers put him underneath the strap and lift it up a little and said, how's that, baby? And he said, that's good, mommy. I see a picture of what God wants to do in your life today. We came in, we're like, God, it's, it's just too heavy. I can't take it anymore. I'm overwhelmed. But by you just coming to him, God puts his hand and lifts the burden on your back and says, how's that? Today, we're going to say, that's good, Daddy. That's good, God. He began to recognize that he is still in control. And that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. There's some of you in the room today, you're overwhelmed by the bad decisions you've made. The sin that's in your life. I got a verse for you too. Psalm 65 says, Though we were overwhelmed by our sin, you forgave them all. What are you overwhelmed with? What is it in your life? Because it doesn't matter how big you think it is, you have a God who's bigger than that. And I believe today, He is your hope, He is your healing, and you are going to make it in Jesus' name.